Welcome to my new podcast, Fahrenheit 451, The Annihilation of Books. I'm your host, Jeremiah Patterson. The idea of this podcast caught my attention when I was reading my book report information in class. On the packet, it indicated that a podcast was one of the options, and so with that, I exuberantly began the formation of my script after I finished the book. This book, podcast, my apology, will consist of four episodes and intriguing scripts to help you comprehend the book. Before I begin, I'd like to give credit to the amazing author who wrote this book, Ray Bradbury. Mr. Bradbury indicates in this book the idea and the life of living in an autocratic world. There are some intriguing twists in this book and the way it was written. For instance, on page 47 of chapter 1, when Clarice dies and when Montauk has to deliberately burn down his own house. I mean, can you as a person imagine burning down your own home? Essentially, the place where you started a family with and got married and moved in. You are vigorously ordered to do so because there was indication of a book in your home. In my opinion, this was diametrically unanticipated and sort of an interesting twist to the book. This also made you want to finish the book because it was very intriguing. When Clarice died, the rest of the book became a bit boring for me. I felt this way because I felt like she was sort of the unpredictable star in the book, in a way. Because nothing she said was inevitable, which made the book and the dialogue between her and Montag a bit more fascinating. Joining me now for a special interview is Mrs. Henderson, which is a librarian. Hey, y'all. All right, so you are a librarian and also a former former English teacher. Can you imagine burning a book? Um, I, I can't imagine burning a book. Not that I would burn one, but when I was a kid, um, I checked out books from the library all the time, obviously. Uh -huh. But I, um, I had this book about like fairies, some like magical world, and my mom was like staunchly conservative <laughs> and religious. And when she saw like the magical content of this book, she was livid. Um, and she mm. burned it. She burned it in her backyard. Wow. Um, and the funny thing was, I'd actually borrowed it from my friend who had checked it out from the library. Mm -hmm. So like it went on her account that we had to pay for the book. <laughs> and so like we had to pay for it. So I, I can imagine it happening, mm -hmm. although I would never myself do it. Because mm. um, as a librarian, I'm a firm believer in intellectual freedom. Yeah. And the ability for people to get the information they want, regardless of how I feel about said information. Mm-hmm. So in a library, there are many books, but nationally speaking, there are probably millions of books. And many people like to read, including myself. So in this book, uh, Fahrenheit 451, Montag and all these characters are living in this autocratic world where books are banned. Here in the US, we have the pleasure to read anytime we choose. What's your perspective on that essential part of the book? Um, well, like I said, intellectual freedom is just a, a crucial part of a healthy democratic society. I mean, mm -hmm. you want to be a, a active member of society, you want to be an active citizen, and um, you have to have good information in order to yeah. um, to take that job wisely, mm -hmm. um, and in order to do a good job with that job, uh, you know primary tomorrow, voting willy-nilly yeah. without any information is uh -huh. a terrible idea, uh, but with healthy information and good information and all sides and looking at everything, you can make a really educated um, decision. Yeah. And I thought it was actually kind of interesting that it wasn't even the government that mm -hmm. like 
started this book burning thing. It was just society. They had just evolved and people were just not interested in books and they yeah. were less and less interested in um, in text and in reading. And mm -hmm. he like when he has this conversation with his fire chief Beatty, he says that Beatty said it didn't come from the government down. There was no dictum, no declaration of censorship to start with. No, it was just propaganda. Yeah. It made everybody believe that that was okay. I just thought that was fascinating because we yeah we see that <laughs> like we see that. <laughs> Were you astonished by uh, Clarice's Clarice's death? So. Mm, I don't know. I don't even know that I think that she actually died. Yeah, it took me a while to realize that. Um, I kind of feel like there's like an, I mean, you know, it's been 70 something years, but like I kind yeah. of feel like there's like another novel. Yeah. And like she's still alive <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> like I don't really think that yeah. she's dead. Um, but it was surprising so early on in the story. Usually mm -hmm. a character doesn't die quite that soon. Yeah. Uh, when a house is burning, uh, 911 is essentially called. When the when the sound alarms for the firefighters that there's a fire, the firefighters then go to that house and eradicate the fire. In this case, Montag's job as a fireman is to burn books and essentially people's houses. What do you make of that peculiar routine? Um, I think it's horrifying. Mm -hmm. I mean, just people showing up and burning all my books is, yeah. is absolutely terrifying. Um, I think it is interesting to note that none of them really saw any problem with it it's just this is life this is how it's always been done this is what we do and they were really desensitized um, mm -hmm. to what that evil really was and yeah. what a disservice you know they were doing in their daily jobs because they just didn't really know any better yeah which is sad initially when I began reading I was uh, mystified especially in chapter one where it says quote it was a pleasure to burn end quote when you first read that part of the book I mean you first read the book what did you think of that intriguing line? Um, I loved it. As a, an English teacher who teaches writing, the power of your first few words is, is yeah. really crucial. And that is an incredible way to start off a book. It's probably in like my top five favorite first sentences. Uh -huh. uh, when I was in doing my undergrad, I did a project where I had to look at first sentences of books. And this mm -hmm. was one of my favorites because it's just like, pleasure yeah. to burn. <laughs> what? Must keep reading, yeah. which is great. Um, I want to read here this dialogue here on page 50. Quote, couldn't you get the shows in your parlor? Sure, but it's nice visiting. She went out into the parlor. He heard her singing. Mildred, he called. She returned singing, snapping her finger softly. Aren't you going to ask me about last night? He said. What about it? We burnt a thousand books. We burnt a woman. Well, the parlor was exploding with sound. We burnt copies of Dante and Swift and Marcus Aurelius. And then Mil Mildred just sort of drifts off here. Uh, mm -hmm. What do you think uh, is going through Mildred's, Mildred's mind at this point? I think that Mildred as a character is an archetype of the rest of society mm -hmm. and just like a, a model of what everyone else is kind of feeling. And it's that contrast between her and Montag and their, you know, yeah. kind of back and forth. And so I think here it's just really demonstrating the like I said, desensitization yeah. of the rest of society to um, what this evil really is and the, the power that books and information as a whole hold. And she she's just showing that it's like, oh, okay, you read some books. Uh, oh, that name kind of yeah. sounds familiar. Yeah, hmm, whatever. Uh -huh. Do what you gotta do. Yeah. And it's just like, it's kind of sad, you know? Yeah. All right, we'll be right back with my guest, Mrs. Henderson.
Chapter 2. Montauk sat listening to the rain. Quote, is that what is is that what is what the girl in the next door I've tried so hard to figure. She's dead. Let's talk about someone alive, for goodness sake. Montag did not like did not look back at his wife as he went trembling along the hall to the kitchen, where he stood for a long time watching the rain hit the windows before he came back down in the gray light, waiting for the tremble to subside. What do you think uh, about that dialogue there that indicates? Um, I think it's kind of interesting because there's a, there's a dis, in the novel, there's a disregard for history, mm -hmm. um, especially accurate history. Yeah. Um, and it is really interesting that she's like, they're dead. Why, why bother? Mm -hmm. You know, what significance does this old yeah. stuff have? And we hear that a lot. Um, especially young people in school they just why am I learning about this stuff from a million yeah. years ago um, and I think it shows that you know again with Mildred as the archetype of society that um, there's just this disregard for real mm -hmm. authentic information why do you think the fireman's uh, rule book credited Benjamin Franklin as a writer publisher political leader inventor and ambassador as being the first fireman so as I said, there's a disregard for real yeah. history, and here we see them say that Benjamin Franklin was the first fire fireman um, burning books, uh, and mm -hmm. Benjamin Franklin did create the first firefighting like um, organization, I guess you could say, in the city of Philadelphia, but he was like fighting actual yeah. fires. He wasn't burning <laughs> books. He was like, hey, I'm gonna help you if your house is on yeah. fire, as opposed yeah. to being like, I'm gonna burn your house down because uh -huh. you have a book. Um, and it's interesting that they twisted this, um, this character from history who played a great role mm -hmm. in history. And they use this guy who we've always viewed in a positive light to manipulate them into believing that they're their agenda that they're trying to push yeah. is accurate and they use this happy face that everyone loves to promote their agenda through this yeah. complete twist of history. Okay. Do you think uh, this book Fahrenheit 451 is a caveat to society today? Absolutely. Um, I think it was a caveat to society when it was written and I think it still completely applies today. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know that it's blatantly obvious um, but it's still really applicable to the society yeah. we have now um, I like where um, I think he's talking to God, what's the old man's name Faber Faber yeah <laughs> he's talking to him and, and Faber's talking about why books are so hated and he says they show the pores in the face of life mm -hmm. the comfortable people want only wax moon faces poreless hairless expressionless and talks goes on to talk about how yeah. um, books really show the, the the nitty gritty and this information that's so important. Um, and I think that that's where we stand today because we live in an information society where it's mm -hmm. so quick and easy to get the answer to what you're looking for. Yeah. Yet there's a complete disregard for real information. Yeah. The intriguing part of the book for me is when uh, Montag deliberately burns Captain Beatty and the Hound that was after him. 
What do you think of that chaotic part of the book? I didn't <laughs> see it coming, I guess, the first time I read it. I was like, whoa, you did a whole 180 here, dude. Yeah. Um, but I think it just shows the intensity of the frustration that he was feeling mm -hmm. towards the system. He, you know, had this awakening and he realized that, you know, the system that he was working for was real quick to flip on him. Mm -hmm. And I think it just, it's the climax of his emotions and frustration. And he's like, you know what, I'm going to go. So yeah. far here is to burn my boss to a crisp. What's your favorite part of the book? Clarice. Yeah. I love Clarice. I wish, that's part of why I guess I don't think she dies because I don't want her uh -huh. to have died because I like her. Um, yeah. I just think she's magical almost, mm -hmm. you know, the way that she talks that even, even though you're not really in the book yet and you're not in the setting or the world that the book has created yet, you still know that what yeah. she's, how she's talking is so different and I love that. Should this book be read by future generations to prevent such a thing from becoming inevitable? Most definitely. Um, I think it open, opens up a good conversation mm -hmm. about intellectual freedom. In modern times, less kids are reading and more kids are in intrigued with tech and video games. How can they balance that as reading being essential? I mean, we have ebooks, and there's a lot of ways that, you know, we can um, tie those two together. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's still a lot of research that talks about, you know, reading yeah. actual words, you <laughs> know, is just yeah. better. Um, but I think a lot of it starts in the home. You know, you can't, it's really hard to create a love of reading mm -hmm. as someone who's a little older. It, it really does have to start young. Yeah. And, you know, families just have to read with their kids to get that love of reading. And then when the kids are curious later on, they can go to the internet and research and they have a stamina to actually yeah. read the articles to get the information uh -huh. they want. Because they're like, yeah, they get tired of looking for information, so they quit and they settle for not knowing. Mm -hmm. In this book, uh, in this book society, books have been banned and the retribution for reading is your house being burnt. Uh, so they start watching TV shows. And so there is this one part in the book, chapter two, where Mildred and her friends are talking about a politician running for president. And Montag is trying to get their attention. What I also notice is that Miss Phelps calls children, quote, runious and nuisances. <laughs> That's not something you say to a child. Um, <laughs> How do those words make you feel, and were you ever flabbergasted by that? I wasn't super shocked, necessarily, um, but obviously it's you wouldn't you wouldn't say that about kids. Yeah. I'm like, listen, I'm someone who doesn't necessarily want my own children, and mm -hmm. I understand the frustration of children because they don't yeah. know any better yet, but my goodness, you don't call them ruinous yeah. and a nuisance. Um, but I think it's an example of like, like, here again, I don't think it's kids necessarily. I think kids kind of represent this curiosity. Mm -hmm. And what's ruinous is curiosity. And yeah. what's a nuisance to society is curiosity to yeah. learn more. Because the more you learn, the more you're going to be like, hmm, maybe we should actually have access to information. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks for coming on the show. You're welcome. Been and great. thanks to all of you for listening to episode one of Fahrenheit 451, The Annihilation of Books.